It's been said that small compromises bring big falls. And on Jesus' dark night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter also had his darkest night, his infamous denial of the Lord three times. What led to Peter's denial? What led to his fall? What can we learn from that night? And what can we learn about the road to restoration, the way back? Well, that's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If you have your Bible still, go ahead and open it to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to talk about the road to denial this morning, the road to denial. We're looking at Mark 14, verses 42 through 72. So go ahead and locate that. We're also going to be in some other texts. We'll be in the Proverbs as well if you want to prepare to turn over there. The road to denial. So we've all probably experienced uh, knowing someone, maybe multiple people, who had a confession of faith. Maybe they walked with the Lord for quite some time. Maybe were even used in ministry and were witnessing to others. Maybe they were even an encouragement to us in our own Christian experience. And then all of a sudden, we find out one day that that person is no longer going to church, no longer walking with the Lord. In fact, they are a person who now denies Jesus Christ. And this brings up a lot of questions in our own hearts and minds about what is the status of this person? This is what causes, causes many people to call Bible Answer Show type programs, which we happen to host, and say, can you lose your salvation? Or what happened to my friend? Or how do I know? And it brings up a lot of question marks in our hearts. What makes people do these kinds of things? There's a famous... Uh, evangelist of the time of Billy Graham. When Billy Graham was just starting out, his name was Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham, and he, they were both on preaching tours, both winning many people to Jesus Christ. And Charles Templeton abandoned the faith. And he says he did so because he saw, I think it was a Time Magazine uh, cover uh, that showed a woman in Africa holding a dead baby and the caption said if, something like this, if only it would rain. And so that picture was worth a thousand words to him. And he said, how could a God, you know, not bring rain? And so, you know, basically the problem of evil hit him. And he started writing books against the Christian faith and the God of the Bible. Well, if you've read the book um, by Lee Strobel, the first book that, uh, called The Case for Christ, he went and tracked down Charles Templeton. He was curious about Charles Templeton's story and he began to inquire and he found himself actually at Charles Templeton's home. And he was suffering from, um, I think it was dementia. And so uh, he was at the latter stages of his life. He was an older gentleman and uh, uh, Lee Strobel began to ask him questions about his journey. And finally Lee Strobel said, but what about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? And in a moment of lucidness, Templeton responded, I miss him. And Strobel said he was shocked. And uh, it wasn't uh, just a short time after that Charles Templeton died. And so that leaves a lingering question mark. And we've, we probably have family members and friends. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're at a point where you hit a crisis 
And sometimes it's crisis moments. We call them crises of faith that lead us to a point where we're not sure what we believe anymore. It could be something, you know, that's personally challenging to us. We've all had our moments and our stories. This night that we will look at in our Bibles is a well-known night. It's the night that Judas uh, betrays the Lord and Peter denies the Lord. And these are infamous uh, things in our Bible. We all are quite familiar with them. But I called this the road to denial because I think it is a road. I don't think it's just one thing that happens to a person that causes them to, to deny Christ. I think it's multiple things. I think it's a, a path that people take. And then they end up at a point where finally they speak a denial or they deny the Lord in their actions or maybe they're gone from church for, you know, sometimes for some people for decades. And it, for some of them, it's a, it's a wound. It's a wound from people inside the church. Sadly, you know, we're not always prepared to deal with the fact that sometimes Christians can be very difficult. Amen? You know, we look at spiritual warfare and we think, oh, the devil's on the prowl and he uses unbelievers to get at us. Well, sometimes it's the people closest to us that hurt us the most. And Jesus experienced that with both Judas and Peter, two men that had followed Jesus for three and a half, some about three and a half years, two men that were quite intimate with him. The 12 were the intimate group. Peter was in the inner circle of the inner circle. And this would be a very difficult night for all of the above. Let's go ahead and pray and see what we can learn. Father, we, we're here to learn how we can be people who rely upon you more, who walk by faith and not by sight. You tell us that the Bible is given for our instruction and it's profitable if we're uh, willing to learn the lessons that we see in Scripture. And Peter's story doesn't end with a denial. Peter was mightily used by God. In fact, we could say that his denial became a turning point, but not for, for bad. He actually was a man that was used greatly by God. And you even used this night, uh, I think, to catapult him into learning he needed your power not to trust in his flesh. And I pray that we'll learn the same lessons, whatever lessons you have for us this morning, Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 18, 15 says, For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods, and they have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths to walk in bypass, not on a highway. Yesterday we did a men's breakfast, and uh, Paul Hicks, uh, his brother made little hand-sized crosses uh, that you can use in prayer. There's nothing magical about the crosses that were given out, but they're a reminder that we find our hope in the cross and we can even turn our question marks into the cross and understand that, you know, we're gonna have question marks in this life, but we can find our answers in the person of Jesus and how much he loves us. Well, um, as we think about this issue and this road, uh, one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that one of the ways to avoid denial is to practice self-denial. If you're taking notes, that would be one major point to write down. It seems obvious, doesn't it? One way to avoid denial of Christ is to practice self-denial. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. Now, he had said that, I think it's Mark 8, 34. He had said that earlier 
to the disciples. He said, look, you're going to have to take up your own cross. He was preparing them. But along that journey that they were walking with Jesus, I'm not sure that they were always listening. I want to show you a proverb. Let's go to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. So the Proverbs have great little, call them nuggets of wisdom that we can hold on to. And a, a proverb a day is a great practice. Just read the proverb that matches the day of the month and you'll have a built-in reading plan. There's 31 Proverbs. I don't think you can read them enough times. This is Proverbs 16. Look at verse 17. We're talking about the road to denial and Proverbs 16, 17 says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil, Proverbs 16, 17. He who watches his way preserves his life. Pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before stumbling or a fall, says the New King James. It is better to be of humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who gives attention to the word shall find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Simon had told Jesus, Simon Peter had told Jesus, even if everybody denies you, if, even if everybody falls away, I will never fall away. One of the gospels, he says, I will go to prison and I will go to death with you. And we all, you know, we, we have phrases in our contemporary language like famous last words. You know, have you ever uh, said something and then regretted it? <laughs> you, ever, you ever made a statement of, you know, even though everybody else does this kind of stuff, I, me, let me check my teeth in the mirror. Hold on a second. <laughs> I will never. Those are the famous last words. And the apostles were not prepared for what was going to happen on this night. They thought they were. Peter thought he was. In fact, all of them said the same thing. They said, we won't deny you. But they did. They all fled on that night. And it was a hard night. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Peter is told by Jesus, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you when, you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus told Peter that Satan was demanding permission to destroy him, to sift him like wheat, to chew him up and spit him out. Is basically the idea of the language, to consume Peter. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you. And here's the prophecy that Jesus gave. When you have turned again or turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, we've all probably had moments in our lives, turning points of failure. And sometimes our greatest failures can be springboards to success because we learn that we cannot do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit we need the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And Peter had made a confession there and Jesus had told him, no, you're going to deny me. And you're gonna deny me three times. If you're still in the Proverbs, go to Proverbs 24. Look at verse 16. Proverbs 24, 16 says these words. Though a righteous man falls seven times, Proverbs 24, 16, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, Proverbs 24, 17, when he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. I just read from the NIV there. You see, 
you might fall seven times during the day and you know sometimes when we make our mistakes we think well maybe it's about me having this hey folks thanks for listening to walk in truth and we'll be back to the message in just a moment We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. You see, you might fall seven times during the day and, you know, sometimes when we make our mistakes, We think, well, maybe it's about me having the strength to get back up again. It's not really about that. It's about God's strength in you. We have a redeemer. He's the one that helps us to walk in times of failure. And I just preached, uh, go back to the book of Mark uh, from Genesis 38 on Wednesday night. And if you're uh, interested in coming on Wednesday nights, I'm going through the book of Genesis and I'm in the story of Joseph right now. Great lessons there. Back to Mark 14. And Judah had a, 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 a big stumble. And that stumble for Judah, if, if you track the rest of his life in, as recorded in the book of Genesis, he actually becomes a stronger man after that stumble. Here's my point. Sometimes when we stumble, we're tempted to say, well, maybe I should give up on what God's called me to do. Maybe, maybe I should not go to church anymore. Look, if, if that was the qualification, we should just empty the building now. Amen. We all stumble in many ways. But what we want to do is get a consistent walk, and I think we can learn from Peter's example here. Just so we we have everything clear in our minds, Peter was the most prominent of Jesus' 12 apostles. The New Testament gives us a more complete picture of Peter than any other disciple, with the exception of Paul. Peter is often considered to be a big, blundering fisherman, but this is a shallow portrayal. I'm reading from one of the Bible dictionaries. The picture of his personality portrayed in the New Testament is rich and many-sided. A more fitting appraisal of Peter is that he was a pioneer among the 12 apostles and the early church, breaking ground that the church would later follow. In fact, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom by Jesus, and it's quite interesting in the book of Acts that Peter is the one that preaches in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ. He goes down at the Samaritan preaching that happens, And he goes down and prays over those people in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 10, it's Peter who opens the door to the Gentiles as he goes into the house of Cornelius. Isn't it amazing? The man that's often known to be the blundering fisherman who denied the Lord and was proud was actually the main voice for the early church. The first 10 chapters of the book of Acts are about Peter, largely about Peter. And how God or Jesus had given him the keys and he opened the door to the Jews, he opened the door to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. Sometimes we think, well, if I fail, then God can't use me. No, God can use you. Sometimes your failures can be turning points. And Peter was no failure. 
You know, sometimes we, we have a moment where we, we've had a big stumble and we think that, well, that stumble is now going to define my life. That failure is always going to be attached to me, but that's not the way it is for Christians. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen? The old things have gone, the new has come. Every day, his mercies are new. You don't have to be defined by your failures, but learn from them and move on. What are some of the things that we can learn from Peter? Well, early on, before we, we get into the main text, Peter was warned to keep watching and praying that he would not fall into temptation. That's 1438. It says, moreover, uh, by them, that is the precepts of the Lord, your servant is warned. But Peter didn't pay attention to the warning. And sometimes we have warning signs in our lives. If you're taking notes, I'm trying to give you some things that you, so you don't go down this road to denial. When you get a warning sign, pay attention. And we all probably have had moments where we're on kind of the precipice. We're on the verge of doing something dumb and we got a warning sign. And sometimes we brush them off like, ah, nah. Now that couldn't be God, could it? Oh, yes, it very well could be. Probably is God saying, don't do that. I know what you've been postulating in your mind. You know God even knows what you think. Could be quite inconvenient at times, can it? <laughs> now the time is at hand in Mark 14, 42, as we will try to tackle up to verse 72. We'll see. <laughs> Jesus says, and all God's people laughed at Pastor Michael. That's just, that's just wrong. Anyway, Mark 14, verse 42. Let's pick it up. He says, arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now, Jesus had been praying in the garden. Three times he had prayed for that cup to pass from him. Luke twenty-two fifty-three 53 says, this hour and the power of darkness is yours. Jesus' soul was troubled in John 12, 27. But he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, Mark reminds us that Judas was one of the 12 disciples or apostles, came up, accompanied by a multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Notice that Judas was leading this, this band and their numbers probably were in the hundreds. Notice that the group, according to Mark, were from the chief priests, end of verse 43, the scribes and the elders. That's why uh, there are many that argue this is the temple police. And the temple police, my understanding, were made up of Levites, but they had the, the ability or they were given the charge to protect things related to the temple and so forth. And they went out. Notice they had swords and clubs. Others believe that there's a combination of Roman soldiers and temple police. They're led by one of the 12. His name is Judas Iscariot. Who is this guy? Well, we don't know a whole lot about Judas. We, he's not talked about a lot, but we do know that in the list of the apostles, Peter's always mentioned first and Judas is always mentioned last. But they didn't know that Judas was evil. When Jesus said at the Last Supper, one of you will betray me, they didn't all look at Judas like, oh, I knew it. But John's gospel tells us that all along, Judas was stealing from the money bag or the money box. He was a thief. And some believe he was an insurrectionist. And when Jesus wasn't doing what he thought should be done, then he turned on him. He did it for 30 pieces of silver. 
which it seems odd that he would do that for that kind of money, but uh, Judas was definitely stealing. He was a thief, and Jesus called him a devil from the beginning. Now, he who was betraying him, 44, had given them a signal, saying, whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. In the shadowy darkness of Gethsemane, as we've already set the table from last time's message, here came Judas. And uh, apparently not everybody in the group knew who Jesus was or what he looked like. It was, a, it was nighttime, it was cold, although it was spring, so it was probably a full moon. And Judas says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kiss the one that you are to take. Uh, we're told from ancient sources that the typical way that a disciple would greet his master was with a kiss. So they were, they were quite used to this. In fact, there's the idea that the holy kiss goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. We see that in Europe where people often, they do that kiss on both the cheeks and we think that that's kind of a neat way to greet people. Well, this may go all the way back to Jesus. Paul said to the church, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, I personally have issues with the holy kiss, especially from certain individuals. I feel tempted to talk about football after it happens, but anyway. We won't. <laughs> if you've ever been around Paul Hicks, <laughs> prepare to be kissed. But it's okay. <laughs> the uh, word for kiss here is kata phileo. It's an intensified form of the word which implies, Cranfield says it, implies a prolonged kiss, like he kissed him over and over and over again. What an actor Judas was. You know, Judas was the ultimate hupakritas, that's the Greek word for hypocrite. He wore a mask the whole time, and even on the night when he betrays Jesus, he does it with a kiss. Can you imagine being Jesus and knowing what he was up to as he kisses you over and over and over again? What would your reaction be? And it was a slithery kiss as well because we know that Judas had been uh, possessed by Satan. What we often don't think about, I think, in this scene is that Jesus was human. And I'm sure that it was hard for him to take someone who had been with him all this time who betrayed him. You know, when we think about Jesus and think about his high priestly ministry, we understand he can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know what? He also understands betrayal very well. He was betrayed with a kiss, a prolonged kiss. There's a prophecy in Psalm 55. Here's what it says. This is 12 through 16. It says, if, For it, it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol. For evil is in their dwelling and in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. My familiar friend, how many times did they sit around a fire and talk? How many times did they... Rejoice at a miracle Jesus had done. How many times do you think Judas was, was overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus and seeing his miracle working power, hearing words that fell from his mouth? Judas was there for all of that. He was there for all the sermons. 
He was there for all the miracles. And yet on this night, he kisses him over and over again. You know, if you've ever been betrayed by someone who promised, you know, they would be faithful to you, it's hard. And Judas kissed him. And Jesus reached out to him in, uh, until the end. Matthew 26, 50 records that Jesus said to him, friend, friend, do what you came for. Would you have called him friend? <laughs> I would have had some words, I think, for him. I'm not sure friend would have been at the top of my list. Friend, do what you came for. The disciples have been sleeping instead of praying and all of a sudden notice in verse 46 of Mark 14, it says, they laid hands on him, on Jesus, and they seized him. Peter was watching the goings-on and he attempted to intervene. It says, a certain one, that is Peter, we learned from uh, Mark's gospel, a certain one of those who stood by drew his sword. Just a side note, Jesus' disciples did carry weapons. I know there's a whole move of pacifism in uh, some denominations of Christianity, but the New Testament doesn't require a pacifistic attitude. They did have swords for protection, and Peter took his sword up at this moment, and he struck the slave of the high priest. The high priest had his own personal servant, and he cut off his ear. Now, we don't know if Peter was groggy, and that's why he just got an ear. <laughs> was he going for the head? You know, some people have said that maybe the high priest servant had a helmet on. We don't know for sure. Was he part of the temple police? But whatever the case may be, Peter is the one who does this. Now, it's interesting that most scholars believe that Peter is the one behind the thoughts of Mark's gospel. But Peter is not mentioned here. It doesn't say Peter stood up and cut off his ear. I kind of wonder why. I don't know for sure. I don't know if this is humility or Peter just wants to be left out of this one from Mark's gospel. But all scripture is inspired by God, so there's a reason. But he struck the slave of the high priest and he cut off his ear. There's a parallel passage in John 18, and this is verse 10. It says, Peter, therefore, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Now we know that in John's record of this, Jesus had ste stepped up to this group led by Jesus and said, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And they all fell back. Do you remember that? Like dominoes. To they all had to get straightened up. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult, and we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.